Evening, everybody. Um, Jim Rosati here, Northside Notch. This is NS9 Live. We've got a fun show tonight. We're going to try to keep it short and sweet for you guys. Pirates are off today, uh, but we are joined by uh, Tyler. Uh, and then we also have a special guest, Tim Williams from Pirates Prospects. Uh, so, Tim, how are, uh, how are you tonight? Thanks for coming on. Doing good. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm looking forward to talking some prospects tonight. Tim, I got a question for you. Yeah, yeah. Why do you not follow me? <laughs> Man, from which account? Because I got like three to yeah, try I to know. keep track of, you know? I, I don't feel like you follow me on any. It's rude. Well, I'm going to make sure that's uh, that's all corrected by the end of the night, man. I've been saving that for like a week. You should have let me know a week ago. I could have taken care of this a long time no, ago. because <laughs> then I don't get to call you out live. There we go. There we go. You got you to gotta save your cards and use them exactly. wisely. <laughs> You, you never tweet show. anyways, Tyler. You, you tweet like twice a week. So that's probably why he doesn't follow you. Yeah. yeah. No, it See, I, no. I'm not even on Twitter anymore either. I, I go on yeah. occasionally to, you know, apparently stir up some stuff and then I just disappear. So. <laughs> you you hop on to to give a take about O'Neill Cruz being a trade chip and then you let everybody get <laughs> mad and then you then you leave for a week. Yeah. I just go get high for two days and disappear into the woods and <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, uh, Donardo is not here. I think it's his anniversary. Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, that sounds so about right. Something, I guess, I guess we'll let him have. Yeah, we'll let him have tonight. What a loser. But uh, it's been a while since we've had you on, Tim. I think it's, like, we had you on at the beginning of last year. Yeah, he's a recurring um, guest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I was living in another state at that time. I mean, it's been a while. So, yeah, it, a lot of stuff has changed. It, COVID was going on; everybody was hunkered down. We weren't going anywhere. But, um, yeah. yeah, no. And I, I remember you, uh, you made a you made a prediction that night, and it definitely rang true. We asked you at the very end. We said, which prospect that's like not in the top twenty is going to make a big jump? And you said Mike Burrows. And uh, it looks like looks like you were right on that one. I mean, he's been really impressive uh, this year. Um, and I think the biggest thing that stood out, I, this may have even stood out to me after we uh, we last talked uh, since that prediction. Uh, it's really his attitude and his confidence in his stuff now. I mean, that that is really a step forward to where. I think he's starting to realize how good he is, which is what you want from a prospect because then there's nothing holding them back from, you know, success going forward as they move up, as they face bigger challenges, they know what they can do. And I've been really impressed uh, even further. So with him this year. So in regard, guys, to, go ahead, go ahead, Tyler. in regard to Burroughs, I've heard kind of mixed reviews on the curveball that maybe the spin rate's not where it should be. I don't know how accurate that is. But scouts love it. Maybe the computer doesn't love it as much. What do you see about that? I mean, I think that uh, it it's a little bit hard to get a read on him as far as the consistency of command of pitches because this year he's been doing a lot more to incorporate the changeup in a little bit more. So when you start doing that, when you increase the usage of one pitch, it can kind of take away from another pitch. I'm confident in the curveball that when he eventually gets that change change up down, when he gets all this other stuff down, that pitch is going to come back once he puts that priority on it. He's got the making of three pitches that all have you know great swing and miss stuff, have strikeout potential, have the potential for a very dominant three pitch mix that you know with his mentality, with his approach to attack the strikes and to attack hitters with it it can work. So you're going to see some command issues now as he works to refine everything. But I think he's starting to get to the point where everything is almost refined and we might start seeing him just piece everything together at this point. Yeah. I mean, you look at his walk rate, his walk rate is the lowest it's been 
his entire career this year. Um, yeah. Strikeout rates right where you want to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, really impressive double-A campaign. So he pitches 52 innings in double-A, just officially got called up to triple-A, I guess, officially today. But, you know, we got the word, you know, yesterday or the day before. But, uh, yeah, I'm really – I mean, he, he's kind of on on a, you know, a fast track. He, he hasn't pitched a lot of innings in his whole minor league career just because of injuries. Um, so like, I'm, I'm interested to see what he can do in AAA. You mentioned using the change up a lot more this year. Cause that, that's the one thing I, you know, just reading scouting reports going into this year, it was like fastball is great. Curveball's great. Change up needs work. Right. And then, so a lot of prospect rankings kind of didn't have him, I think as high as you'd hope for just because of that lack of a third pitch and, you know, if you, I mean, if you go to every single website, it's like, he could be a reliever. He could be a reliever. He could be a reliever. So what's your take on that? Is, is Mike, is Mike Burroughs a starter? Well, I think coming into the year, it was easy to have that reliever risk on him because, you know, he did miss a lot of time last year. I think uh, off the top of my head, it was only like 45 innings that he pitched uh, last year. And, you know, when you have a guy who he's making the jump to double A and he hasn't, really gone a full season of work when he you know hasn't shown that ability when he doesn't have that third pitch to point to there are a lot of reliever risks there but I think he's done a lot to really answer those questions and put a lot of that talk to bed where if he is a reliever at the very least it's a guy who is going to come into the majors and be a multi-inning once through the order guy I don't think he stays there that long though I think that he advances beyond that even if that's where he starts off this is a guy who I get kind of a AJ Burnett vibe a little bit as far as his combination of the simplicity of his stuff. His stuff is so good. He doesn't really need five, six pitches. The three that he has are great. Now the two that he had before, even with the changeup were some of the best, you know, one of the best fastball curveball combos in the system. So starting off there, you already have a major league foundation, but I keep coming back to the attitude and the confidence from him. The biggest thing that stood out to me last year was he right away called out the old front office for how they impacted his development and being around that front office, being around, you know, players of that time, a guy like Burroughs would not have spoken out before he would not have been able to say, they held me back and I am better because I'm able to do my thing now. And I think that that is, that's absolutely true. And that's a, a huge thing is that he's able to do his own thing now. Can I ask you what exactly pointed out to the front office, how to back from, was it making him throw the two seamer, which we've, I think was the big yeah. sticking point that everybody talked about, but there's probably a lot more in his particular case. It was more the work off the field um Mm -hmm. they had a very specific training program that required people you know run through the same drills do the same weightlifting stuff and it was actually detracting from his game where it was making him weaker instead of stronger he was going into his starts more fatigued and he wasn't able to say no to that because they had it where everybody had to do this and now he's able to say this is something that doesn't help me in the game i don't want to do this this is something that does i want to do it that way and basically his entire work day his entire preparation and you know training is customized to him now as it has been for all players across the system now he's really benefiting from that because it's allowing him the just authority and the agency to take control of his career and say this actually isn't working for me i don't want to do it and unlike the old guys they're not making him do that anymore and we've seen the results yeah i remember look i don't know if you might maybe wrote about it back gosh when Garrickle was getting drafted dylan bundy and the long toss program everything was so uniform and we've we've been vocal that we're not thrilled with ben sherrington put it that way um but that is one i think positive of what he's done so far with that minor league system I think, uh, yeah, the addition of John Baker has really been uh, a positive there um, because, you know, looking at the farm system, you mentioned the the situation with Cole and Trevor Bauer and Dylan Bundy. And at that time, there was a – it was almost a disconnect between what the actual truth was and a, 
a kind of extreme version. So the extreme version that was out there was that the pirates don't allow anybody, any kind of variance. And they did, but they only allowed guys to vary from their plan. If the guys had shown a demonstrated ability to do that, which creates the kind of difficult situation. If they're not allowed to try it, how can they demonstrate an ability to do it? And, you know, if you're going to say, it's basically set guys up to where it's like, we will allow you to do it, but we're not going to give you a chance to get into that situation to where you can do it. And so it, it did turn a lot of guys off who had that concern that maybe they won't let me follow my career path. And that ultimately did happen with Burroughs, uh, an 11th round pick who didn't have a lot of say, he didn't have the power of a first round multi-million dollar bonus guy who can kind of take more control of his career. He, just had to kind of follow what they were doing. Go ahead, Jim. Awesome. No, it's, yeah, sorry about that. I, I had to deal with some stuff in the background there. But right. um, <laughs> um, no, I said so. So you guys have uh, you guys have Burroughs as the number nine prospect in the system going into this year. You all haven't released like your mid mid season rankings yet or anything. That's uh, coming up in a couple weeks. Yeah, I'd expect him to move up quite a bit. Um, just based off of, of everything that's been going on, but let's kind of stick with the pitchers. Um, let, let's go back to it. Let's, let's go to a guy who, I mean, we, not much to say really about Quinn Priester. He hasn't really, he's pitched one rehab start essentially. Um, yeah. so you, you basically had Burroughs though, right in line with Jared Jones. So another prep pitcher, great stuff. Jared Jones is in Greensboro. Strikeout numbers are insane right now, but the results really aren't where you would like to see them probably uh, at, at this point in time. So uh, kind of like, like walk us through, like what, what have we seen from Jared Jones this first half of the year? Well, I mean, I think that the, like, the, the stuff is fantastic. I mean, if he wants to, he can sit in the, you know, in the upper nineties with this fastball, he's got tremendous break on the breaking pitch. It's kind of a similar situation that we were talking about with Burroughs where there are some flags that are starting to come up that indicate there might be a reliever risk. Even if Jones is a long reliever, uh, the control, that's something that he's going to have to get better at. And that's something where it could be he doesn't have to throw 98, 99 every time to get outs. Maybe he can get outs at throwing 95, 96, 97, scaling it back to get more control. Typically, that's something where if you have a guy who is young, who I, I believe Jones is, what, 19, 20 right now? He's yeah. a very young guy, only you know a few years removed from high school. When you have a guy like that who can throw like he does – Typically, you have them attack, 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 and they're afraid to scale it back because it's, that's their power right there, the, the ability to blow it by guys. And you almost have to get them to trust that they can still do that. They can still be effective, even if it isn't a 98, 99-mile-an-hour fastball. So I think with Jones, it's incredible stuff from a, a young age the fact that he's putting up the strikeout numbers he is in a ball, you have to think back 10 years ago. I mean, at the same age, Jamison Tyone was at a lower level or the same comparative level, wasn't putting up the strikeout numbers. And we had similar concerns about him developing his stuff going up the level. So with Jones, I like that he is dominant right now, but there still is a lot to work on, especially refining the command and, you know, improving that control going forward. Yeah, I mean, the walk rate's actually been been a little bit better this year um, yeah. than from what it was last year. Strikeout rate's a little bit low. I think it was uh, I think it was uh, John Drecker um, the other day pointed out his his crazy splits this year, um, and, and something that I wasn't even really aware of. But like he's he's striking out like twenty batters uh, per nine innings on the road, but then at home it's it's like it's like nine per per nine. Um, is there anything to take? I mean, I know Greensboro in general is like a hitter's park, um, yeah. but like the, the, the vast range and strikeout numbers is a little weird. Is, is, are we just chalking that up to small sample size at this point? Or is like, there, is there something there? Yeah. It could be small sample size, but it could also be, uh, you know, just the way that park plays kind of knowing that 
if you give up a hit there, there's a little bit less forgiveness that that might change the way that people pitch where on the road, you know, they, they have more forgiveness. So they're a little bit more, you know, willing to attack people and willing to, uh, you know, let the ball go and play. Whereas that might not be a sound strategy in Greensboro. So I I've noticed that with Jones, I've noticed that with a couple other guys, uh, but it's, it's really impossible to say unless you're getting inside the pitcher's head and, getting him to give you an honest answer of this is how I'm approaching things at home versus the road. I, I do think that the fact that there's a lot less forgiveness at Greensboro is probably changing people's approach there versus on the road. Yeah. So, I, just, I just pulled it up here. ERAs are almost identical in six starts each home and away, but <laughs> yeah, a lot more home runs at home, a lot more strikeouts on the road. So they get, he gets to the results of the exact, just in, in very different ways. Yeah. All right, Tim, I'm going to take it back to like, let's just, let's, let's make a hypothetical here. All right. Let's, let's pretend it's 2014. Mark Ben's on Twitter. He's calling you Tim Shilliams. <laughs> what is Tim Shilliams going to say to defend the pirates for keeping O'Neill Cruz down? Now this is when in 2014, we'll just say then. Let's just say back then, whenever you were, quote unquote, Mark Madden's Tim Shilliams. I mean, am I still not that? Like, am I? I don't know if I've changed. I, I don't really follow Mark Madden or know. Uh, you know. <laughs> Let's just I, hypothetically say that you are yeah. Tim Shilliams, and you're trying to. Come so, up if I'm trying to say the argument, yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to grasp the question. So, so today, if I have 2014 mode. What am I arguing today to keep O'Neill Cruz down? It's more um, of a let's just say that it's back yeah. in the day where everybody's calling you. Okay. So I, I think that um in order to get that result, I would probably have to go really hardcore into arguing for the team and their benefits in this situation, which I think I used to do a lot of in the past. I used to more explain things from the team side because there was yeah. a period where a lot of people didn't understand the nuances of the rule books and how small market teams manipulate things. I always felt that I don't care if you call me a shill, if I can explain what the team is doing. And if you can, if I can do that so well that you think that I'm making a case for it, well, that's great. Then you understand what they're doing and it doesn't matter what I say because they're going to do it anyway. But I think that, what I've been trying to do lately is give more perspective from Cruz, especially in the last couple of articles, because I can explain to you how everything the Pirates are doing right now is within the rule books. I can talk about how the rule sucks. I can say, you know, this is probably what will happen regardless of what they're telling you. And what I didn't do in the past as much, what I'm doing a lot more of now is really explaining this is why it sucks for Cruz. And this is why you can make an argument against the Pirates if you want that what they're saying is not consistent and it's largely disingenuous to the player. I think that's a great answer, mainly because I think back then we were all kind of not brainwashed so much, but we all bought into the fact that, or not the fact, but the thought that this was the correct way to run a baseball team because we saw so many other teams do it and the Pirates were so bad for so long. I mean, what would the race do? That's <laughs> yeah. what we wanted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now I think people are maybe not smarter. They're definitely not smarter. They're a lot dumber, but they at I least mean, I, know the other side a little more. They're just ignore it. I don't it, know if people are dumber it, now. I think I, people are just more, interested in the players and like what's best for them and you know how they watch and consume a baseball game as opposed to what may be a best dis business decision for the team yeah i no, can I see that uh, that being the case I, i've noticed that people are following players more especially with the emergence of places like draft street uh fan duel more daily fantasy stuff and then you know following prospects themselves it seems people attach themselves more to people to follow instead of just you know following the actual team um it's i i think that ultimately with this cruise situation with you know the the whole should they call them up now versus the benefits later 
fans can get on board with the logic of it's smarter in the long term to call him up later to do this. It's better for the team. And this way, it's going to be lower finances. You're going to be able to keep him longer. I think the problem you run into in Pittsburgh specifically is a lack of trust in that you're going to argue for the team. You're going to argue that, you know, it's better for them to save money. It's better for them to try to maximize the control they have of this guy. Well, at what point does that turn into spending? At what point does the savings that we're arguing for O'Neill Cruz turn into, we're going to pour that into contending, really contending more than we did in 2015, more than we did after. We're going to really contend in every single dollar that you see us saving, you can celebrate because you know on the other side, we're going to use that in a smart way. And I think that's the buy-in that a lot of Pirates fans don't really have right now because they saw what happened before. There's hardly any trust in Bob Nutting. Even if you do trust Ben Sherrington, even if you trust John Baker, even if you trust O'Neill Cruz to be everything you thought he would be, there is still that lack of trust in Bob Nutting. And I don't think we're going to get that trust until we see the situation come up again and see him tackle it in a much different way. Yeah. I think he lost all of us. Good. All the good faith that they built up. I think it's all gone. And by the way, it's hard to get that back to that whole rant from Tim. There's going to be a great clip. (laughs) Great. Great. So uh, I'll just (laughs) head out of Twitter for a couple of days. You guys let me know how it went. Yeah. There we go. Um, Yeah. Well, I I was going to wait until a little bit later in the show to talk about Cruz, but Hey, let's, let's just tackle it now. Um, I I think everybody knows my thoughts on O'Neill Cruz. He should have never gone to AAA in the first place this year. In my opinion, he he should have been the opening day starting shortstop for the pirates. Um, He wasn't. So here we are now it's June 16th. Um, We are past the day. I mean, if we're, if we're looking at service time and things like that, Yesterday was pretty much like the 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 most you could have cons- you could have even reasonably thought that there would be a super two deadline would have been yesterday um, would have been one year and I think twelve days if he called called up yesterday one year and thirteen days something like that um well thir- one hundred thirteen days sorry yeah. um so we're past that point. There was a report today, um, not really a report today, but Cody Duncan did say he he has sources that he's going to be up at some point this homestand. I mean, I'm going to put that out there. I still need something a little bit more, uh, more, more, you know, concrete than that um, to celebrate it. He's in Indianapolis's lineup tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, my guess is since he's in Indianapolis's lineup tonight, he's probably not getting called up tomorrow. I mean, there's a chance. I just think if you were going to call him up tomorrow, you wouldn't risk him another day in AAA just because you'd get him to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, what are they waiting for? <laughs> I guess that's my question. <laughs> like, what are we like? This team is this team. The shortstop position on this team is a complete just cluster. Um, He's been performing pretty consistently now for six weeks. Like his April woes are far behind him. He is, he's playing much better now. Um, like what, when, when's, when's O'Neill Cruz going to be up here, Tim? <laughs> I mean, I think that we can all agree that Super 2 has to be playing the biggest role here. And, you know, as you laid out, we, we don't really know. When Super 2 passes, we have our guests and it kind of has passed at this point where they could be safe bringing him up, especially since they have so many rookies that they almost control the market. Like they can set, they can manipulate it to where it's like, O'Neal, you're going to get the lowest amount of all these guys to guarantee that if anybody on our team gets it, it will be you last after these dozen other players that we've called up ahead of you. (laughs) I think that ultimately it, it runs into a situation where there's no justifiable reason to keep him down otherwise. And everything that they've said, you can look and say, well, that didn't apply to this person. That didn't apply to that person. That didn't apply to that person. You know, you can talk about how poor his defense is, but we saw Rodolfo Castro get time at shortstop. And nobody has ever said that Rodolfo Castro 
is going to stick at shortstop with no questions asked. There have always been doubts about his ability to stick there, and the appeal has always been the bat. O'Neill Cruz is nothing but a more extreme version of that. And if you're going to give Castro a chance, you've got to give Cruz a chance. If you're going to give Jack Sawinski a chance to move up to the majors from double A and develop his game in the majors, you can't talk about how Cruz needs to show a larger sample size because of his slow start in April. Uh, there, There are just so many arguments you can make where you can say the Pirates did it this way with another player and they're doing it completely different with Cruz. And I think ultimately it circles back around to Number one, super two, there's a financial reason he is considered by everybody, including I think the Pirates, to be the best. But number two, I mean, they can't exactly just say all of this stuff and then bring him up the day super two comes. So I I wouldn't be surprised if they wait a little bit beyond that window to finally bring him up. Yeah, and I'll defend our other co-host, Donato, here. Something he's said for a long time is that this front office has – been hellbent on this organization being player based and rewarding players. And we've, we did see it last year where they called up Cruz. They called up Contreras after great years, mm-hmm. jumped from double A. Yeah. You're, you're going back on that right now. That this whole situation is not helping anything. I think that's ultimately the challenge they're going to run into uh, with this is You're developing guys from the time they get into the system with, we are going to put your best interests forefront. And you get to the majors and all of a sudden it's at this point, it's our interests first. And you're going to have to make sacrifices for your team, even if it's not the best interest in your career, even if it goes against what we've told you every step of the way coming up. At this point, we need you to make that sacrifice. And going back to Bob Nutting again, I, I think that that creates a lack of trust. And that's it, it seems to me that's a situation where he could spend easily he could spend easily more than other people and it wouldn't break the bank at all. And the amount of trust and goodwill that it would generate in the homegrown players would be exponentially better than any savings that they can get by nickel and diming people, maximizing the rules of the rule book. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's that. And then there's also, you know, if we're, if we're talking about Donardo, He's the very cynical one here, and usually I'm the cynical one, but Donardo's even more cynical here. And that I'm sorry, am I still here? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You too. You're even the I guess you're the worst <laughs> out of all of us. I'm the most <laughs> negative one of all of you. <laughs> but then there's also the whole if O'Neill Cruz comes up here and he finishes in the top two of rookie of the year voting, he gets a year of service time, like as a reward. Yeah. Right. And right now, no one has taken the reins in the national league for rookie of the year. Like there's, there's been, there, there are some good performances out there, but like, you can't look at anybody and say, Oh, that one, that guy is clearly the favorite right now. Like if you look at, if you go to, to any sports book right now, O'Neill Cruz is still like, has like the fifth best odds of anyone in the national league for rookie of the year. Dude hasn't even swung the bat yet. Um, so that's another thing too, where like you look at this and you're like, are the, are the pirates just going to keep him down in because they're scared that he's actually going to play well and yeah. just screw them over anyways and pick up a year of service time. That, that's that's like, another factor because that's, that's even harder to project out than super two is at least with super two, you can have an actual date and say, this is how much service time he'll get this year. And here is how unlikely it is that he'll be super two with that service time. But you talk about rookie of the year. Well, if he comes up and hits, you know, 20 homers, 25 homers over the final couple of months, it doesn't matter when they called him up. If he can outperform a, as you said, largely underwhelming National League rookie class, I think uh, right now Mackenzie Gore might be the only standout, but you're still talking top two. So all he has to do is just be a qualifier and lead the rest of the qualifiers. And right now that's not that difficult. Um that that's another thing that you know probably is impacting it but i really don't know how you get around that unless you 
you call him up at the end of July to the point where he couldn't possibly do that almost in a situation like Cabrian Hayes, where no matter how good your numbers are, they won't consider you because of playing time. God, I hope that happens. I hope they call him up this weekend and that happens just to piss all over him. I, I would, I like, honestly, I want nothing more to come from this year than O'Neill Cruz to come up, just perform and finish top two. Like I would just love it. And and then just the pirates get screwed over and they deserve it quite frankly for, for what they're doing. So I, I would, I would be so happy about that. Then maybe they'd be forced to actually like sign the guy to an extension, pay him some money. At that point, is he going to sign a contract? Yeah, I mean, I guaranteed money's guaranteed money. I mean, you, you can you might be able to I pay guess. But uh, well, we talked quite a bit about Cruz. There's a lot of other people I wanted to get to. Um, hopefully, O'Neill Cruz is up this weekend. I don't know if I can take another. Like, I, I go on vacation for four days, so I'm not. I'm gonna go four days without Pirates baseball. O'Neill Cruz better be in that lineup <laughs> when I get back from vacation. <laughs> I'm just going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. <laughs> All right. So O'Neill Cruz, number one prospect in the system. Uh, let's just go down the list here. So, I mean, Henry yeah. Davis is back in Altoona. Um, I think when he's been in the lineup, I don't think there's – I think you've got to be thrilled with what we see from Henry Davis so far. Yeah. I really like uh, that aggressive approach. I know it's it kind of – draws alarms every time he gets hit by a pitch, but throwing on that uh, that almost catcher's gear at the plate and still being able to hit bombs with that Jeff Bagwell style, you know, big leg kick stance, like the big crouch stance he has. It's it's fun to watch him play. Um, I, you know, I've just really been sitting back. I mean, as the, he's already one of the top prospects, so you don't really have to, evaluate a guy like that except for just looking and being like yep there's there's the power there's the power that we're waiting on and uh hopefully in a couple years that carries over to behind the plate in pittsburgh i don't i don't know in my lifetime that i can remember a prospect that is in the pirate system that has just raked the way that he has i know it's been a small small sample size because of injuries and everything but even the top prospects in this system, it doesn't seem like have hit like he has. That's a really good point because I think that we've seen a lot of guys come through uh, who have been promised to have power like he has, but we haven't seen it right away. I mean, Pedro Alvarez is a great example. He didn't come in and set the world on fire with power like he was expected to do. It took a while for him to start to develop that. Uh, Josh Bell is another guy who praise for tremendous raw power, but it took him a long time to develop that. And the fact that we're seeing this from Davis right away, if those guys could develop into more from less than impressive results, what is he going to develop into when he's already showing impressive results? So clearly the bat we like, um, if there was one concern about Davis coming out of the draft, it was how's the defense going to play? Right. So what can you can, what kind of updates we have there from from behind the plate? He did catch a no hitter in Bradenton during one of his yeah. rehab starts. So I thought that was kind of cool. But yeah, like what, what kind of uh, what kind of defensive updates we have on Davis? He still needs some work. Um, we haven't gotten the best reports. It's about what you would expect from a guy who doesn't have a lot of experience calling games, who has a clear disconnect between, you know, the value of his hitting, which is way up there and the value of his defense, which needs a lot of work. So I think that it's good that he's in Altoona. Now that is a really good rotation for him to work with, to, to learn a lot of, you know, a lot of guys that he'll probably be playing with in Pittsburgh soon in, you know, the next couple of years, but also to take on that staff and to use that as an opportunity to learn, tendencies to adjust with pitchers to pick up things over multiple starts. I, I would really like to see where he's at at the end of the year with his game calling, with his progression, with his receiving skills after working with a staff like this for, for a full season. Yeah. I'm, the positive of this whole thing is that worst case scenario, the guy can hit. Yeah. 
We're not talking about a Reese McGuire or Tony Sanchez. Yeah, and I, I think too, uh, one thing to his advantage is it looks like the, the catching situation is going to go towards more automatic balls and strikes. So that receiving aspect, even if he can't fix that, is mitigated a little bit. Ben Sherrington, teller of the future. <laughs> um, Anthony asked in the comments here while we're on the subject of Davis. Um, is he in Pittsburgh this time next year? What do you think? I could see us having a a similar conversation to O'Neill Cruz where we're talking about his receiving skills as the reason that they're holding him down for that and definitely not super two. It's definitely this tangible thing that will be gone once super two passes. So I, I could see him uh, I could see him being next year's super two guy if he continues hitting like this. I can't wait till the arguments about how this team employed Mike Michael Perez for as long as they have and they won't call Henry Davis up. Because Michael Perez sucks at everything. When you look at whatever the catcher situation is going to be next year, yeah. it's going to be bad. Yeah. <laughs> like it's going to, like, that's the other thing. Like, same with this year where the shortstop position has just been been awful. Like, the catching position is going to be bad next year. And you're yeah. going to have Henry Davis knocking on the door. And it's like, let's go. The, the and at one, that point, he'll probably have a full season in Altoona. He'll be going to Indianapolis to you know get more work and probably get work with more veteran guys. But it's going to be if you thought this year was bad, yeah, next year is going to be really interesting with Davis hitting bombs and no catcher in the majors. So we've heard Sherrington talk about. Well, I don't know if he's really talked about it, but Triple A is just not important in his mind. It seems like. It's can, can we really yeah, argue putting Henry Davis there? I think uh, the way they're treating AAA, it, I don't think it's important as a guy like Jack Swinski has to stop there before going to the majors. I think it is important for guys who you know may need a little bit more experience against a kind of major league light atmosphere where you have a lot of guys who they've been in the majors. They know, you know, the tricks, the shortcuts, how to, how to get ahead, how to get a strikeout, how to get ahead on a hitter. There are a lot of things that you can learn in triple a, if you can't make that jump from double a to the majors. And I I'm very interested in the fact that the pirates are more aggressive with that double a to the majors jump, but they're starting to establish that triple a as almost a, a way to refine in a more veteran environment, if you will, that for that's just from my perceptive of who they've sent there and how they've treated it. So I could see Davis benefiting from that just because the type of pitchers that he would be seeing there, you're not getting the prospect group like you are now. You're probably going to get a more mixed group like you would see in the major leagues. Just the talent level would be a step lower, obviously, because it's triple A. But as far as what you're learning, he could probably benefit from that. Right. And he's not going there for the stick. He's going there defensively. Yeah. Yeah. The, he'll absolutely still crush. If by the end of this year he is crushing the ball in Altoona, he's probably going to go to Indianapolis and do the same thing starting next year. And that's where I think the bridge between double-A, triple-A in the majors. If he was DH only, double-A to the majors. Don't need to mess with triple-A. But the fact that he has so much defensive work, that's where something like triple-A could probably come into play and be a benefit for him, especially with all the veterans there. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested. I, I'm looking forward to Davis coming up. Um, so I, was, I was a proponent of drafting him last year. And uh, it, it it seems like it's paying off. It seems like it's paying off. Um, although that last year's draft class, there's a lot of guys who are playing really well from that class. A lot of dudes. Yeah, yeah. Those are, those are, that's, we're gonna look back on that class, I think, and be like, this this class was good. Um, all right, so 2021 draft pick Henry Davis. Let's go to 2020. Nick Gonzalez also in Altoona. Um, Last time we had you on the show, you said you talked to a scout and he said, Nick Gonzalez, future batting title. Yeah. 
there were a lot of people who were really high on his hitting ability, and that's been the biggest red flag that that hasn't you talk about, you know, guys who come in with a big report and then don't show that it hasn't been power for him. He came in with very high contact grades to the point where multiple batting titles, I think was the report at the time. Like he, not just, he might get a batting title, but he could be a guy who consistently is a batting contender. He has had a lot of swing and miss to his game more than you would want to see from a guy who comes with that elite contact grade and, you know, rating and expectation. And that really raises a red flag because, you know, he doesn't hit for a lot of power. So there's not a lot to offset that when you start taking away the, the bat, when you start taking away the on base ability, it starts taking away his value because ultimately he's, a guy who was drafted as a shortstop, he's going to be a second baseman. He's going to be a little bit more bat first middle infielder. You start taking that bat away and you're reducing his value to where it's kind of an average starter, maybe above average if he can develop it a little bit more. But I think there are some red flags right now where he's not looking like the, the lofty expectation that was surrounding him around draft time. How worried should we be that he's just going to be a that he's just going to bust? I mean, at this point, the silver lining that I can find is that mm-hmm. this isn't just him. That mm-hmm. you can look at a lot of players, and there are some uncommon strikeout issues in the system in the first half. Uh, the Pirates have been doing a lot of stuff with their hitters in terms of visual perception in terms of changing up how they trust their body and their instincts more than just trusting their eyes at the plate. Uh, I don't know if you guys have read, uh, you know, there's been a lot of great work written about the uh, occlusion goggles that basically block out a hitter's Oculus. That's it. Yeah. And it, it, uh, it it gets, it gets a guy into a situation, I guess, where he's he's not just you know staring down, waiting for it, but he's kind of trusting his body a little bit more from the conversations I've had. And I think that if you take that same mentality to the plate, where you're 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 changing the way you're reacting to the ball live in the game, I could see a situation where. In the second half, we start seeing guys like Gonzalez. We start seeing guys who have had these unprecedented swing and miss issues come up this year. I could see it where those guys were trying something different. We're trying a a kind of new approach at the plate, and then suddenly it all clicks for them. That's my hope anyway, just because this is a widespread thing. If it's not, then that starts to be a concern for this development team that they can draft a guy like Gonzalez and then he can develop some swing and miss issues under them when he was seen, you know, as such a high quality contact hitter coming in. My first point is that I hate those Oculus goggles. I think they're stupid. I don't, I don't understand how they work. I don't want to, whatever. It's a whole thing. I'd like to feel the bat hit the ball. Personally, you're such yeah. a boomer. <laughs> I'm sorry. So if old. I'm working on my swing, I want to feel the bat hit the ball. I want to feel me not hit it. But I think the, uh, we're not going to get into the technology. Yeah, I, I, even, I know. I'm not even going to engage in that conversation. Yeah, so. I know. <laughs> I, we'd be here all night. My second point, we are at a point, though, where that swing and miss has been there for m- more than this year. It yeah. was pretty bad last year, and it's way worse this year. Yeah. So the panic buttons, hands on it. Yeah. For Nick Gonzalez. Yeah, and I I think too, not just the swing and miss, but the big alarming thing last year was the home road splits in Greensboro. The fact that his numbers were largely a product of the home park. That's an argument you can make just looking at those splits, and he hasn't done much to dispel that this year to show that it was just a fluke that he was only good at the hitter-friendly Greensboro environment and struggle on the road. 
he's in a more neutral environment this year and is still struggling and isn't putting up anything close to what we saw Greensboro at home last year. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm, I am concerned with Nick Gonzalez. Um, hopefully, I mean, he's, he's injured right now. It's been three weeks since he's played. Hopefully we see, like a new Nick Gonzalez when he comes back, kind of like kind of like how we did in Greensboro last year. Like he missed some time, came back, you know, and then after like a week or two, he was like a completely different hitter and ended the year just absolutely on fire. So hoping we see that this year. Um, how about his double play combination partner there in uh, in Altoona, uh, Leo Piguero? I know you wrote some good words about him the other day. Um, he is for his age i think just very impressive um coming back down to earth a little bit but you know had an awesome start to double a but uh i mean he's only 21 um doesn't turn 22 until you know december or something like that new year's eve is his birthday so uh one of the younger players in all of double a more than holding his own <sighs> Has he, first off, I guess, has he jumped Gonzalez, in your opinion, as far as, like, the better prospect? And, um, like, what what really, what can Piguero become? I mean, he, he's getting pretty close now to where, I mean, he's in double A and he's performing. So, like, he's, he's kind of knocking on the door right now. Like, what could we have there with Piguero? Number one, I think, yes, he has jumped over Gonzalez. I think that that's a, that's an easy call to make at this point, just because he has struggled, but he has lived up to his tools more so than Gonzalez has. Number two, I think that as far as what he could become, there are a lot of options because of the tools that he has, because of his ability to provide value on defense, to provide value offensively with contact, with speed, with power. I think you've got a lot of possibility for him to, work his way to be a perennial three to four war player who ultimately is going to get there through a combination of, you know, power, speed, defense, all of those things, but maybe never one thing consistently every single year. It's just going to be his ability to do things all over the field is what's going to drive his value. And I, I think he has that more than anybody in that he can get value from everywhere instead of Cruz. We're talking about his bat for sure. And where will he play? We're talking about other players with defense. We're talking about, you know, pitchers, maybe a starter or reliever. I think Figuero has enough working for him that he is just going to be a, a good player and a good player in different ways, but a good player in that he's always going to provide value for you. So you're not concerned about the 12 airs? I'm not, especially <laughs> because with him, it's mostly throwing, and he has shown a really good tendency to throw on the run and throw on the run with accuracy, but he does show a little bit of a tendency to let his arm drop down a little bit to get a little bit, I don't want to say sloppy, but not always fundamentally sound. Uh, and I think that, you know, we talk about he's 21 years old. That will probably clean up. I mean, we've seen worse defensive shortstops who have cleaned up better. I, Jordy Mercer ended up being a very solid defensive shortstop and was at this stage in his career, not a, a solid shortstop. So I think that... <laughs> I, I think that the problem that uh, Piguero has right now, they're definitely fixable. And I think that uh, it, it will definitely come with, with more experience and age. It's crazy to think that Piguero is 21 years old and it feels like Marte has been off this team for like a decade. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, that is, that's the one thing though, that I really liked that Charrington did with this rebuild that Huntington wasn't doing as much. Now Huntington did go down to the lower levels of the system and get O'Neill Cruz, but a lot of the trades that he made were guys who were in double AA, A, triple A or higher. A lot of the guys that Charrington brought in were younger guys. And that's ultimately the result is that it seems like Marte has been around, been, been gone for a long time. And the guy they got for him it seems like he's hardly 
been in baseball. And that's mm-hmm. what you want. That's why you target the guys who are so young, who have that massive upside breakout potential because, you know, it, it might work like this. It might work like Andy Rodriguez. It might work like even a David Bednar in the, in the upper levels. But, uh, you know, I, I like that for the most part, they've been targeting lower level upside guys and getting those guys in bulk. And uh, Peguero is obviously the best case of that. It's a conversation for another day, I think. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's um let's move away from Altoona and Indy. Um, you touched you, you mentioned Andy Rodriguez's name. I think he's doing fine in Greensboro. I think you know he he started off just amazing. Uh, he's kind of cooled down a little bit, uh, really, ever since Henry Davis got promoted, and it was like, hey, Andy, you're the catcher now. Um, but he is playing around the field a lot. I think that's going to ultimately be like his most valuable tool is that he can like play all these positions. And if the bat can play, you know, he's going to have a roster spot. He's going to get playing time in a, on a major league team. So I guess with, with, uh, with Andy Rodriguez, um, what are, uh, what are we seeing there is, you know, defensively, what are we seeing there offensively? Uh, let's say you slow down a little bit, but still res- respectable numbers for high able. Yeah. And I think the fact that you, you pointed out his numbers started to drop offensively when he started getting behind the plate a little bit more, you know, he can move around. He's a very athletic player. He's played left field. He's played second base this year, but now he's behind the plate and that is a very taxing position to learn. It can detract from the other side. And that's, that's something that is probably going to happen to him because he also has a lot of work there. I think as far as his overall value in the future, what you're seeing now is the type of contact skills and the results that you really wanted to see from a guy like Gonzalez, because, you know, Andy Rodriguez is another guy who is his prospect uh, status is driven by his ability to make solid contact and his ability to work the strike zone, but also his ability to play a premium position and maybe move around the field. I think the presence of Davis in this system creates a very unique type of value for Rodriguez in that if he can play catcher, then you've got a guy in the majors who could move left field, second base, and back up Henry Davis at catcher in all the span of a week. That's a very valuable player to have. It's I, I can't think of any major league team that has that. That, you know, well, as I a... Would. Yeah, so I was exactly. kind of compared. I was like Dalton Varshow. Like, that's like the one other guy where it's like, if Andy can become like Dalton Varshow, then like yeah. that's that's huge. You know, like like you said, catch like one or two games a week as a backup catcher, but then also play outfield the other four games a week in that week, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting too, uh, you know, Abraham Gutierrez is the other catcher there not as high profile as the other two, but I really like his his frame and his power potential and his ability behind the plate. Now, it would be very, very coincidental if the Pirates eventually had those three as catcher after having them in a ball, but that type of situation is really what you would want where you have a a true backup catcher who might be able to provide some hitting off the bench and the fact that you would have a third catcher there means you don't have to have just this dead spot of a backup catcher. You can use that bat off the bench. You can use the backup catcher and you still have the emergency catcher from a guy who can actually play catcher. Not to mention we're, we're in the DH era where Henry Davis might see a good bit of time there. And even if Andy's bat ends up playing, he's the guy that could be there as well. And, what we've seen from the Pirates this year is not a backup catcher that can either play catcher or hit a baseball. So I'd I'd be thrilled that if Gutierrez, if he can just work out as a Chris Stewart, like just catcher only, can't hit a baseball, I would take that at this point because they don't have a guy that can do that. I agree. I um, Sorry, I had to... Turned the mic off and cough a couple times there. Um, 
I uh, I think that they're starting to cycle through some of the guys in the upper levels who might be that. I really like that uh, Jason DeLay got an opportunity. I don't see much with the bat from him, but defensively, I think that he could he could do a good job, especially in a year like this. But I really do like Gutierrez for that reason that you know, like you said, they they don't have a lot of guys who who can do that, and he looks like a guy who might be able to develop to develop into that role. Um, real quick because we're coming up on our hour, I wanted to keep this keep this right at an hour here. Um. Let's touch on last year's draft class. So we're just now seeing a lot of those guys um, make their debuts for 2022. Salamedo in Bradenton, Bubba Chandler in uh, the Complex League. Um, I think uh, Kellington still sidelined, Lonnie White sidelined, um, Braylon Bishop's in the Complex League. I guess just you know it's been it's only been like a week or two for a lot of these guys. But what's uh, what are kind of what what are some quick kind of tips, quick pointers on these guys that, you know, through their first week or two of uh, pro ball this year. Well, I think the, the most interesting thing, and this is actually something that will be going up as part of tomorrow's article drop on Pirates prospects is how the Pirates are handling the FCL, the complex league. All of these guys would have, if the Pirates didn't spend on them, they would have gone to college. And right now they'd be in a college environment learning at you know Clemson, at Texas, at, at wherever they were slated to go. They would be learning from a college program. And what the Pirates are basically setting up right now is something to mimic a college program to where they have a certain amount of things that players need to learn at that level before they go to Bradenton. And then they have things that they need to learn to Bradenton in Bradenton before they go to Greensboro, which is where we saw Henry Davis drafted out of college go towards. So they have a system that they've set up where all of these guys are going to get work at the complex. They're going to get work in single a, and eventually they have certain checkpoints that they're going to have to cross before they get up to Greensboro and kind of almost graduate that college environment, get every single thing that had they gone to college, they would have gotten. And so that's a kind of interesting change that I'll be going into a little bit more detail tomorrow. As for the individual players, uh, you know, Solomedo is obviously ahead of everybody. He's already in single A. Um, love the delivery. I'm a, a a big fan of his stuff, his deception. Uh, he's held his own so far at a very young age. So that's been really good to see. Bubba Chandler has a little bit more to work on being developed as a two-way player, but he's up to, I think four innings at this point as a starter and working exclusively as a DH and showing a much better swing than he had. Even in spring training, the, the amount of progress he, he's made in such a short amount of time, has been impressive. He will probably go to Bradenton uh, by the end of this year. And then, you know, Kellington, when he kind of comes back, when he's fully worked up, will also go there. And I think Lonnie White Jr. could have a chance, but he'll probably get work in the complex league upon his return. Overall, it's just nice to see all of those guys getting work and a couple of them slated to either already move up to Bradenton or eventually move up and, you know, join Solomedo. It's, it's going to be interesting. It's, it's almost like they're running an elite recruiting class in college with what they did last year. And now they have to develop them in the same way. Yep. I feel like we've I guess out. it's kind of interesting. It's kind of cool too. I mean, you mentioned like college, like, I mean, they even have like the whole dorm style in Bradenton. They can, they can work with, with pirate city. So um, yeah. yeah, that makes, that makes sense. So, um, well, that's an hour. I got um, one more question if, he, if he's got time. All right. You Let's got one more it. question? I've got one more question, too, so you go first. It, it might be the same question. Okay. Reports, Quinn Priester's throwing a two-seamer. What do we think? I mean, he wasn't dominant last year with his stuff and he has quality breaking stuff, which typically indicates the fastballs a little bit too hittable that kind of 
backs up in the reports, the, the stuff that I've seen. I, you know, he is a solid all-around pitcher. He, he's one of the smartest pitchers I've run into as far as, you know, developing, as far as knowing what he needs. Um, that type of pitcher, I want them having as many pitches as possible because I think that ultimately he's going to be able to get into a point where he can mix all of those. So the more weapons you give him, the better. Uh, but specifically in this case, he hasn't been very dominant and it's kind of more been, you can make an argument that it's the fastball more than the breaking stuff. So giving him a, an alternate fastball, not a bad idea. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's a way to get guys out early in counts. Yeah. Especially if your four seems very hittable. Yeah. That or a recovery pitch. If you're falling yeah. behind a little bit with your command, you can just throw it and let them put in play. Or even if your changeup's not great, you have something that can run in. Yeah. All right. I changed my mind. I have two more questions. <laughs> I'll make them quick. All right. First question, because we didn't really touch on it at all. Um, outside of, we talked about Andy Rodriguez. Outside of Andy Rodriguez, the, there's really not a whole lot to like with the hitters in Bradenton or Greensboro. I guess give me one guy where it's like maybe not popping off the charts right now. Don't say Jacob Gonzalez because he's like 40 years old. But like other than Jacob Gonzalez, give me a name in Bradenton or Greensboro that it's like pay attention to this guy. Yeah, I think uh, – from a tools perspective uh, and power from middle infield, uh, Michael Escoto uh, or Escoto, um, he uh, he would probably be the standout. Uh, Dario Lopez is another guy who I've heard nothing but good things on. He's very young for his level, so is Escoto. Um, so the fact that those guys are struggling a little bit. Uh, not really showing the numbers, but showing kind of indications of why they are prospects. That's kind of what I'm looking for more. And I, I would look to those two if you're looking for guys who those a ball guys at both levels, you've got a lot of guys who aren't performing, but are also very young for the level. So you want to see progression and you want to see them performing in the second half and making positive steps from, you know, those early season struggles, they would be the two that I would watch to pick as guys who might have better second halves than we've seen. And that's it. As good as hitting like 160, he's not yeah. hitting well right now, but he's got tremendous raw power. He is not making good contact, but it's one of those things where he's a young guy. If he were in Bradenton, a level lower, he might have better numbers, but that probably isn't a challenge for him right now. He's probably at that point where he's too challenged by this level, but he's not going to be challenged enough by that other level. Yeah. I mean, he, he literally just turned 20 last week. So yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's, he's a young guy. Um, okay. That was, that was my first question. Second question. I'm going to ask the same question we did last, last time. Somebody who's not in the top 20 right now who you could see making a big jump the second half of the year and, and maybe even reaching like a top 12 or so in next year's rankings. That's tough because I have some guys who may have already made that jump. And so, yeah. you know, they're already there for me. Um, yeah. I'll say a guy who's already made that jump to like the, the 12 range for me is Carlos Jimenez in Bradenton. A uh, 19-year-old starter averages 94 on his fastball, has ridiculous swing and miss stuff on his changeup and his curveball. Uh, has kind of a three-tier system where the curveball is upper 70s, the changeup is kind of a little bit of a hard upper 80s cutter, and then that fastball gets a lot of swing and miss. And he would be a guy I would look at, but I, in my book, he's already moved up. So as far as a guy to watch who might be able to make that jump in the second half, I would probably say I'm going to go Braylon Bishop just off the top of my head uh, because I, I really like the swing. He doesn't have the big bonus and the higher draft position that will get him that higher initial rating. But I think as far as the tools, the bat, he should be rated a lot higher than he is right now. He should be definitely top 30, maybe even top 20 
Uh, I, I don't think there's a lot that separates him from, you know, some of the other guys who are ranked ahead of him. Awesome. There you go. Two, two names there. Carlos Jimenez, Braylon Bishop. I like it. Um, I'm also, I'm a big Braylon Bishop fan too. I think just the tools are, the tools are all there. So cool. Um, well, that's an hour and five minutes. I said said we'd keep it an hour, so we went a little bit over. But I appreciate you joining, Tim. We'll um, pay him overtime. <laughs> <laughs> so you can always catch Tim at piratesprospects.com. Um, yeah, you, I mean, you, you, you do your, your, your articles daily there. Um, always yeah. good stuff. You'll, you won't find better coverage of Look out for us, mid-season top. How minor many? league system than, than there, so. Probably 30. Mid-season top 30, probably uh, looking to start of July for that. There we go. Start of July, mid-season top 30. Yep. And, and look out for Carlos Jimenez. He's already in the, your top 12, apparently. That's already there. Yeah. That's 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 a big jump. It's a big jump. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, you got anything else to add, Tyler? Nope. Thanks, Tim, for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. This was a lot of fun. All right. Well, I appreciate you as well. Um, That's going to be it for today. Uh, Tomorrow, Pirates play the Giants Friday night. Uh, So we'll have a post-game show after the game. I won't be on there. I'm going on vacation. So you'll you'll have me for a few days. But Donardo and Tyler will pick up the the slack. So, Uh, But, again, this is uh, NS9 Live. Thanks for watching. See you guys. I don't know where Tyler went.